Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I am your host, Connor Carrick, a professional hockey player and podcaster by trade, a curious learner by choice. Together, we will investigate career design. How successful can I become in sport? And with what quality of life alongside this goal can I experience? The four areas of focus on this podcast are physical expression, mental athleticism, spiritual growth, and experiential wisdom. Thank you for joining me. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, Connor Carrick, and our guest is Samuel Whiting. Sam is a human potential specialist exploring science-based actionable tools and practices from breathing to cold exposure and nervous system development techniques to enhance physiology, psychology, and ignite the extraordinary in your life. And as you can tell, Sam and I share a lot in common in terms of what we're, we're passionate about, and that's why you know we're jamming today. Sam is a certified Wim Hof method instructor. Uh, if you're into breath work, you know who Wim Hof is. He has worked with and been inspired by revered mentors and coaches and scientists like Dr. Jack Feldman, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who I'm also a huge fan of, of uh, Stanford University's Department of Neurobiology, as well as the uh, Wim Hof. He leads sessions, trainings, and programs worldwide and online, in addition to consulting with high-level execs, athletes, special operators, pursuers of Guinness World Records, and beyond. Working with Sam is a combination of simple and clear instruction, adventurous self-exploration, light science, and theory, and the opportunity to discover your growing edge. And, and I've had the privilege to have uh, some private sessions with Sam, as well as uh, more public-facing formats. And Sam, uh, I'm really excited about this. I, I think... There's a lot of brilliant people in the breathwork world. I think it's a, a right practice for athletes for sure, but anyone looking to gain some familiarity with their nervous system. Uh, but you got you got the it, man. You got the, you got the stuff. I think that your class in particular are always uh, some of my favorite. So, what is it about breathwork practice in particular, and and what started your affinity, uh, you know, for trying to learn the science, Connor? It's great to be here with you, brother, and welcome to everyone tuning in. Thank you for your interest and curiosity and the spark of inspiration, pun intended, since we, we are riffing on breathing today and respiration. And, and really, that, those words are really the culmination that, that sparked my journey within all of this work. Growing up, I'm a native of New England from Western Massachusetts, and I was fortunate to grow up in nature, playing in the woods, riding BMX bikes, climbing trees, and the winter became a really special season for me with alpine ski racing. That was my full-time sport as I, as I got into my adolescence, and, and I ended up going to an elite winter sports academy in Vermont called Strat Mountain School and had an opportunity to get and be exposed to very rigorous training throughout the whole season, doing the preparation similarly to being, being in competitive season and, and off season and the work that you do, the deliberate effort that goes into building physiology and psychology to be at the top of that start gate and kick out and be working with these powerful forces, G forces, the dynamics and the technique of what alpine ski racing is. And that was my love and my dream to compete at a high level and really put my, my whole younger years into, into that pursuit. So for, for much of my life, I had this experience of being in sport and being an athlete. That was my identity and learning about my body, testing the limits and throughout that process, also having my own shortcomings, struggling with self-doubt, struggling with burnout, and, and how those compounding effects of more of the internal experience, the psychological side of things, was, was a challenge that led me to then choosing to retire from sport competitively. And that felt like a relief to to sort of hang my helmet up and put my skis away in a sense because it just opened up another door as an athlete you're very disciplined and focused where you maybe aren't getting the same amount of friends or family time your routine is very deliberate in in the process of training and preparation and competition so as i went into college and decided not to compete at that level and of course, not to pursue the larger dream of 
the U.S. team or the Olympics, for example. Of course, that's like the six-year-old dream that I enjoyed a different side of the coin in life and went on to complete a double major with finance and accounting. Just felt like where I was supposed to go, like friends and family, business background, going in to learn about business. And, and, and during that time is also when I got into then deeper strength training, more for fun and exposed to hot yoga practice. And that very much was the tipping point, which really made my curiosity spark even further into, into breathing and respiration itself. So here I am having all this experience with hard, intense training, hill sprints, you know, being at that, that, that peak level of intensity with the elite winter sports to finding a softer approach. Though that first hot yoga class, for example, it was the merging of everything. Growing up being playful and adventurous in the woods, imaginative, to the competitive side even that showed up in that hot yoga class where you're surrounded by all these people and they're, they're almost encouraging you just in the nature of being together to hold the pose, to stay in the room and noticing all of those psychological sides of myself and, and working through the postures and the class where what really stood out for me was near the end when you've exerted yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and the relief and the release that I felt of any of the grips in the mind of concern for looking good, how I was doing compared to other people. And it was really the breath, the, the, Ujjayi breathing as, as it is cued in a vinyasa yoga class, that slightly restricted throat breath, it sounds kind of oceanic, it's mesmerizing. And for the, for the first time in a long time, I felt myself get out of that thinking mind, that comparison, the competition, the critic. And it was this access into this clearer state of self. And it opened up a whole doorway of really excitement to continue pursuing that. I remember going home and being like, what is this Ujjayi breathing? And I became obsessed with it, like just practicing it all day long. How can I be able to hone this skill? Because I felt and, and recognized how powerful respiration is more intuitively through the felt experience of it in the practice on accessing deeper parts of myself and getting out of those, those patterns and loops, which are really prisons in the mind, which we feel defined by. So it's this liberation. And that's really the culmination as well of the work is how can we continue to access and explore the well of our potential? The source of the waters within the well of our potential is the self. And what limits or muddies that water? Or in other words, how do we confine the container of our mind which in its nature is also limitless and and that's really the art and also the science of what we're starting to work with looking at physiology the biology the utility of and the mechanism of of our nervous system of our brain and body and also this art of practice which is very creative in its nature and applies to our entire lifestyle, whether you are an athlete, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a mom, a dad, a student, uh, the list goes on, whatever you're exploring in your life, that all of these are, are there's deep utility in, in the practice to serve what it is that you are up to in your life. You know, first off, I, I want to uh, highlight you know, the respect I have for skiing at high level. I think any, I think often when I reflect on the fact that I'm a hockey player, uh, when I, there's a skateboard, you know, park near my house, like I'm always impressed when certain um, passions require a certain comfortability with danger and how individuals, whether they're, they're either prone to be able uh, to accept that in stride or if it's something that they have to train towards uh, comfortability. I think that that is um, not, easy to do in the human state. Like we're pretty vulnerable physically 
I had the luxury of, I, I played with a player, you know, PK Subban was uh, with, you know, Lindsey Vaughn at, at a period and, and, you know, her career is pretty public and, and you witness some of these crashes that await skiers that make a misturn or miscalculate the G forces or just, you know, sometimes they hit a tough rut in the mountain and, and it's just one of those days. And, uh, the reverence I have for those particular sports where there's always a degree of unpredictability is, is, is high. So I have to think that part of your gift, uh, and, and desire to understand the breath, uh, and, and how it relates to your noticing and then manipulation of the nervous system of your nervous system is, is really, you know, profound. I think a lot about as an athlete, this ability to do versus judge this, this critic mind really, uh, is something as athletes, it's the enemy of flow state. The breath is a ripe and fertile tool to enter, uh, into flow state. And yet most athletes are approaching their training and performance uh, with really the beginning and end of their breathwork knowledge starts with take deep breaths. Uh, so help our listener at least go from zero to one on some of the tools accessible to them with breathing. Like, like what does that mean uh, to breathe deeply? We have two vessels. We can breathe through our nose, through our mouth. What might we want to use, you know, which for what purpose uh, and also you, you talked about this witnessing mind, this ability to, to notice your nervous system. What does that feel like? What does it feel like when you are wrapped up in, you know, the ongoings of your mind and, and sort of the monkey mind as, as people will term it, uh, versus being able to step off the roller coaster and there's some space where you don't necessarily obsess over every thought, obsess over every feeling kind of understand the flow of those things and you can you can ride along with it and that's a meandering question but I think that's our style so we'll go with it yeah I mean there's so much rawness in all of that and really what it is to be a human being and this is the art of art of understanding the nature of the nature of a human being and and there's so many dynamics and, and multi dimensions and layers of who we are, our, our mental, our thoughts, our, the, this more mental cognitive side of things to then this layer of emotion within our body to then going to speak to, in, for example, this more spiritual side of life. And everybody has a draw into where they resonate with at a certain point in life. But to recognize that we're in a process. The circle of life, we're continuously in a process. And there's a circle of breath, inhale to exhale. It's a circle. And there can be different cycles and different patterns of, that make the circle maybe shift in a, in a subtle way. But inherently to make it more directed to physiology, breathing is unique in that we're all the same as humans, that we have nervous systems. We all have a brain and a body, but we're all totally unique in that we've had our own experiences and that creates and formulates how we engage with the world based on the meaning that we've created through those experiences. And, and that makes all of us completely ourselves right now in this moment based on the past, but again, that we're not defined by the past in that nature. It's just those experiences have learned us to how we will engage with the moment now. For example, you learn if you touch a hot stove based on seeing the heat of the stove, seeing the flame. And as a kid, if you learn and touch it and you burn your hand, you've then learned a behavior and so that's an experience that you've had that's then created meaning and learning into how you engage with your external environment. Random example, I recognize. But what we're going into in this context is the fact that since we all do have nervous systems, there's this layer of conscious and unconscious. And the autonomic nervous system specifically is a very unique mechanism of the nervous system. 
that, for example, you don't have to think to beat your heart. You don't have to think to dilate your pupils in given environments of light. You don't have to think bile and engaging into digestive enzymes and those processes internally with organ function. All of the things that our body, this intelligence of our nature takes care for us inherently. And breathing is also a part of that. You don't have to think when to breathe. For example, when you go to sleep, you, you breathe naturally. It just happens. So it's this very intelligent, responsive, adaptable behavior that's one of our most foundational aspects to biology. Because we can go days without food, with water, but only a couple minutes for most people without air. Unless you're, you know, an anomaly like David Blaine, who's, of course, done a lot of training to get to that point of holding his breath for over 20 minutes. I mean, these are these are feats that just like the four minute mile, we it's all about perception, what we perceive and what we the perspective of what's possible, this liberation and capacity, the power in the mind. The four minute mile was broken and then all of a sudden the times got shorter and shorter because we saw that it was possible. The whole perception was that the human heart would explode because we don't have the capacity to go at that output. And so what I'm getting at here is that what's possible when we bring conscious, deliberate focus to respiration at certain times. So breathing is conscious and also unconscious. You can let it happen. And you can also deliberately engage with it to help influence and steer your state of being, the neural energy of the nervous system, and also metabolically. So you can be able to steer and help support a more aerobic state, the endurance and the longevity, or you can also steer yourself into deeper and more regulated anaerobic states to have more power in those short burst energy instances. and. The thing that I find compelling in this whole sphere within breathing practice is to consider, especially for all the athletes out there, you're training hard, you're building strength and muscle mass, you're working your aerobic and your anaerobic capacities. And a lot of the focus from what I've found is, is in the periphery. We're looking at strengthening, well, in the whole system of the physiology, rather, arms, legs, strong, strong core. But what's amazing is we have about 11 pounds of muscle that's dedicated to respiration. The diaphragm, the intercostal muscles and the ribs, these are our primary breathing muscles. And we're doing all this work in other ways. And what often becomes neglected is the breathing muscles themselves. And of course, there's patterns of breath and there's protocols and, and techniques that we can use to stimulate adaptation for the physiology and the psychology. But my simple uh, first little crumb here is what's possible if you start to really strengthen your breathing muscles? Because this phenomena, which is called the metaboraflex, in short, is when we're working at high intensity or mid-intensity, and our breathing muscles aren't strong, there's a survival mechanism in the nervous system that kicks in, which then shunts blood from the working muscles because in this survival baseline situation, our breathing muscles need, need the oxygenated blood. And we end up losing capacity for output because our breathing muscles are weak. So I share that in encouragement for everyone who tunes in and is listening that what, again, what's possible when we strengthen and focus on our breathing muscles, that they can keep up with the output that we're starting to push and trigger in the adaptations for the rest of the body so that you actually then have the capacity to go beyond uh, that person in the sprint to skate to the puck or to complete that last little burst of energy and you're not burning the candle at both ends of the stick in, in some sense because of weak breathing muscles. A good secondary resource into that would be, there's a podcast with Tim Ferriss and, and Boss Rutten, uh, who I actually didn't know Boss Rutten well. I'm, I'm a 
not an avid UFC fan. Uh, I am a bit. And I, the 11 pounds of breathing muscles really caught me off guard. I, I wasn't aware that we had that much musculature supporting our breathing. And this is something that I look back over the course of my childhood or even my career. Like I used to have uh, an inhaler uh, or what was the other one called? It was like an electronic inhaler basically. And, and so I relate to this feeling of gassing, this feeling of my body prioritizing air and, and, and this air hunger uh, where I felt like my musculature, you know, could be capable of more. And it's, it's an incredibly uncomfortable physical feeling. And psychologically, it is nearly impossible to get outside of this fear that you do not have enough air. So gone is the ability to pattern recognize as you might need to on the ice. Gone is uh, the ability, you know, in hockey, we call it like uh, to make one more play when you're in a dangerous, you know, defensive scenario when you've really been pushed to, uh, you know, the the ends of your physical capabilities. And uh, this is something that I've, I've done tons of different training protocols. Uh, I've done, you know, the mental side of the game. There's a lot of coaches who will push players towards, you know, let's call it visualization um, or... Uh, you know, uh, visualization or, or meditation. And in the middle, kind of merging these two would be breath practice. Like it, it really massages both capabilities of mental and physical. It, it is the very much in the middle as a bridge where if you improve your ability to remain calm, despite, you know, physical stress outside of you, uh, it really allows for a clearer mind and a more, um, uh, who's the uh, uh, tennis player? The book open. Andre Agassi used to say, "You know, uh, strong legs obey, weak get, weak legs command." And I think that saying would very much apply of the breathing musculature, uh, where weak muscles will demand attention and require you to uh, sacrifice resources that should be going elsewhere uh, to focus on you know something more uh, evolutionarily important. You know, like being able to support oxygen to uh, those tissues. So what? How do you recommend an athlete look into training the musculature? Like what are some, let's call them body weight exercises you could do? Are there any tools or apparatuses that you've used uh, on your own? And what would be a, a decent cadence? Is this an everyday thing? Is this a, a more than once daily thing? Is this a three times of, uh, of a week sort of uh, protocol that you might lean into? Yeah, this is great in that that reflection and context. I'm glad you brought up Boss Rutan. He's worked closely with another close friend of mine, Dr. Belisa Vranish, who's an amazing leader in this whole field of respiration and human potential. Her book, Breathing for Warriors, is a great resource, specifically to what you're asking here around perspectives and techniques for daily practice. And, and that really triggers again, some of this theme and the inquiry that we're going into is I'm not in the nature of, of changing someone's behavior or telling them what to do, but we're, we're offering perspective. That's what the beauty of, of language is. We're, we're sharing stories right now. And that's, that's opening up the possibility and creating a broadening of perspective so that then we can look into what's possible for us through then the action that we take. And, and indeed, daily breathing practice is inherently so beneficial for us as a baseline of health, wellness, and longevity, specifically for an athlete. Think you go and you do some sort of warm up before your physical training that day, a breathing practice and some breathing mechanics work. What a possibility to include that. Like why just stretch the legs and the chest and the back or whatever it is you're targeting when you can also add in some dynamic diaphragmatic movement, whether it's like in a yoga class, some rock and roll, some side body stretch to activate and, and trigger the intercostal muscles. I mean, these are the primary breathing muscles. Um, additionally, I love this tool. It's called the Corgis Ball. A shout out to my homegirl, Jill Miller. This is all targeting the fascial networks. That opens a whole nother door that we could touch on and that the fascia network is connected throughout the whole body. So you could have a, a, a tightness in the sole of your right foot and that's impacting your psoas and your psoas fascia is connected into the diaphragm. 
just for example, that we're, we're exploring these layers and again, to strengthening breathing muscles, exhale pulsations are another powerful technique. It's a focus on the and emphasis on the exhale in yoga. They call it Kapalabhati or breath of fire. <laughs> you could do it through the mouth. You could do it through the nose. A lot of this is building skill. You do the skill work, the agility things to fire the fast twitch muscles, to build the coordination in the body, whether you're working the puck, whether you're throwing a ball, you're shooting at a target. This is precision. So how precise can you be at activating your diaphragm and your breathing muscles? So through simple practice, it could be five minutes that you're building more coordination of your breathing muscles, so then you can be tactical in the moment. Oh, I'm, I'm in a low aerobic, high aerobic state. I know how my breathing muscles should be operating here. Oh, let's shift up. We're in a low anaerobic or high anaerobic state. What should be firing here? So there's this dance that's happening between deliberate engagement, conscious control, conscious practice that you do offline seated for five minutes, sometimes an hour. And then when you're on the ice, all of that has been so consciously and competently programmed into the subconscious that you can go out and execute without having to think. It becomes second nature versus breathing is such a labile behavior. Think what happens when, and just to emphasize, breathing is in fact one of our most baseline behaviors. It shows up everywhere we go. It's a part of language. We can't speak without the exhale. So we are coordinating our muscles and all of that's connecting to layers of the brain and how it's communicating with the body to create that expression. Think what happens when you get cut off by a car or someone pops out of nowhere and surprises you. <gasps> It's the startle response and the breath is a signaler to how we engage with the situation and specifically in a more subtle way to notice what type of breath that was. <gasps> it's an inhale. So the inhale is more connected to the sympathetic nervous system. So shorter, faster inhales, mouth breaths especially are going to drive us more into a sympathetic, alert, focused, energized state. On the other side, what happens when you get home after a long day or there was a close shave, someone cut you off and after a few moments of processing it and recognizing you're safe, whew, or ah, a long sigh, it's an exhale. And that's more connected to this parasympathetic tone. We hear rest and digest, but also think calm. So simply through understanding that framework of mechanism, the inhale being more sympathetic, the exhale is connected to parasympathetic, here again comes in this beauty and this utility of biology where we're learning how to bring conscious awareness into this push and pull of the nervous system, as Andrew Huberman would state. How can we dynamically work this seesaw and through practice and conscious control learn how we can be right at the fulcrum to steer and, and shift the seesaw in the direction for the state that we want to be in. And that's why practice is so important that we're building that competency and programming consciously into the subconscious so that it becomes, again, second nature. Yeah, I want to focus on that, the, the skill building and the, as an athlete, a, a huge part of the challenge is at the end of the day, the task is to f feel how you want to feel, right? As an athlete, uh, a lot of players will approach me and say, you know, I, I just don't feel ready for a game. I feel like I start slow. I'm not necessarily in flow. Breathwork is a ripe tool for that. We might elevate our breathwork. We might uh, really start to, to s expand that diaphragm and contract it so that the musculature is ready in the same way we try to warm the rest of our core body temperature for training, for practice, for performance. Another huge component uh, for me in terms of breathwork is sleep preparation. We as athletes deal with, you know, 
the opposite, the very opposite of what Dr. Andrew Huberman would suggest, right? We, we don't get natural light in the morning because we play an indoor sport and we're inside a hockey rink with artificial, you know, blue lighting. That's also where we are come game time at 7 p.m., uh, which was, uh, you know, prior to the game, we're consuming, a lot of guys uh, consume caffeine at 4, 4.30, 5.15, as late as 6.30 p.m. They're slamming their second or third cup of coffee, you know, before the game. And so there is this huge, uh, you know, nervous system demand to, to get up, get up, get up for the game uh, where, you know, breath work is available. It's uh, affordable, uh, it, you know, post game to kind of help you calm down. And so I've, I've really been able to appreciate, okay, breath work is this tool to become more skilled at feeling how I want to feel which at the core of the human experience, like, I don't want to say what's more important than that, but what's, what's more important than that? Yeah, this is, this is compelling right here because think of the high performer in this way. In one sense, you're doing preparation work to prime the physiology, prime the psychology to be ready to get on the ice and, and go crush. And then what happens after? That's where all of the ingrained learning process begins. That's where the recovery and the building and, and the reset as well. So of course there's breathing practices that are going to steer our state to get primed and prepped, but that still is on the other side of the spectrum when it comes to the down regulation and how important we know, of course, through the literature, getting a good night's sleep is being able to shift into parasympathetic tonality in the nervous system. That's where, of course, there are breathing patterns to create down regulation. Um, practices like non-sleep deep rest or AKA yoga nidra, awareness-based body scanning. It's getting us out of this higher cortical uh, loop of thinking mind, the forebrain and dropping down into feeling and into deep rest, even for example, just spacing out for a few moments. And that could be a, looking out to a landscape in the city or at the ocean, even where there's a lot of activity happening, cars passing, people walking. It's, it's taking the focus away from hypervigilance with the eyes. This is another way to directly influence the nervous system. We're talking about breathing right now as a way to bring in conscious control of the nervous system. But the visual system as well is, is very powerful in how we can uh, inform our state. For example, as you were just closing your eyes for a moment, that's cutting off visual stimulus and draws our focus more inward, this interoceptive focus, sensing the physiology, sensing our state, our emotions. When you open your eyes and you set them to one physical point, very precise vision, convergence of the eyes to one point is more focus driven. It steers more sympathetic energy versus what we've talked about with the horizon, panoramic vision, where you defocus and you take in the whole scene. That's like what grazing animals do is, is parasympathetic. It's calming. So just another perspective to put out there for people to consider, especially when we link breath and vision together. Consider on a very subtle level, with each inhale, the pupils dilate, and with each exhale, they soften and constrict a little bit. So there's this deep interconnection within the nervous system from inhale communicating up to other layers of the brain, the amygdala, the insula, to the forebrain, informing memory. Think when you smell something even, that's part of an inhale. That smell triggers a memory. It triggers emotion. There's a cascade that's happening in such a dynamic way from breath to breath even. And again, riffing on these subtleties because the more aware we can become to mechanism, we can start to deploy protocol. And I'm keeping this intentionally a little bit larger of a scope, more in perspective, because breath practice can often be drawn into saying, oh, this is the best, best method. This is the technique you should be doing. 
And in that sense, the practice becomes more prescriptive. Rather, learning and trying different techniques, exploring different patterns, and feeling how your system responds is what empowers you to be steering through self-directed plasticity. And it's rather building intuitively. And, and that's way more empowering for the individual to build the toolkit to have the skill then to deploy those different patterns or those behavioral actions in the moment versus like, oh, I'm just doing this because somebody said that's what I should do in the moment, but there's not actually an integrated and embodied uh, action to the protocol itself. And, and when we understand mechanism of our physiology, we're deeply empowered to do amazing things in our life. It's funny, you, you talk about the visual system and you know we, we both know when we talk, there is this exhale, there's this depletion of uh, carbon dioxide in the body. And one of, I love doing the podcast because of fascinating conversations like this, but it does take a chunk. This I don't do a lot of uh, computer staring, so I, I would say that I'm not generally well-trained for it as an athlete. Um, I'm fortunate not to have a desk job, but it's very taxing for me to focus on, you know, you're, I don't know, 16 inches away from my face right now on the screen. And there is a lot of uh, talking, the CO2 depletion. And so the other side of that coin is after our podcast, I very much will go for a dog walk and try to stare panoramically and uh, do some breath holds uh, or, or uh, minimal breathing in order to let that CO2 kind of build back up and, and re-energize because I have noticed this dip in the second half of my day and no one really enjoys feeling, you know, brain fog or tired. Uh, but it is cool when you start to understand mechanism, there becomes, uh, there, what, what I really appreciate about breath work is for every stimulus, there's this fork. Can I do something about it? A lot of times breath work is a good tool for me to be able to execute what it is, uh, what is available for me to do about whatever the stimulus is. If there is nothing I can do about what's crossed my path, breath work is a ripe tool for, you know, maybe the acceptance uh, or, or the perspective needed to metabolize and digest whatever the stimulus is presenting, good or bad. I'm particularly highlighting, you know, let's call it negative, uh, you know, life emotion, things that are difficult, uh, you know, to, to sit with. And, you know, breath work, I, I said it earlier in the podcast, it helps me feel how I want to feel it. I very much consider my breath practice uh, a training. I, I am training the talent to manage my own talent. So much as an athlete is focused on how do I get better, which is important, but part of getting better is consistently being your very best as you are right now. And that's, you know, where some of these protocols uh, or, or maybe less protocol. I wouldn't say I always sit down and think, okay, I'm going to do 10 box breaths. I am going to do minimal breathing for two minutes. And then I'm going to do, uh, you know, how do you say it? Kalabati? Kapalabhati. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'll move on throughout my day. It, it, as I understand more, it becomes more instinctual, it becomes more integrated uh, into my training protocol. And it, and it really is quite fun. And, and something I want to, uh, a lot of athletes, hockey players in particular, will look for more ice time. Everyone wants to play more. And I, I found this story funny last year. We had two defensemen. I was one of our top defensemen. There was another top defenseman who was, who was stellar. I'll leave his name out of it. And our coach our defense coach actually made a comment to us both in practice and he was impersonating the other player. And uh, <gasps> he started doing this mouth hyperventilation, this reaching for air, this, this going out. And then he goes and he, he made a comment. And then we see C's over here with this, with this calming centered nasal breath between shifts. And it's not necessarily that I was tired. It was that I was a, uh, I was consciously, stepping into the fact that I am fatigued and I am well aware that the best way to bring my heart rate down and to, to bring my ability to make high-end, you know, motor function decisions with my body is to have a slow and steady nasal breath. 
and my heart rate would plummet like we wear heart rate monitors this inflammation uh, is available and i know my coach makes decisions on ice time based off of the, that in-game information and so i it uh I, I wanted to paint a picture of what this looks like out in the wild uh, for listeners who maybe haven't uh, gone down this road of starting to investigate you know uh, their breath and their relationship to it their skill set essentially well said and to look at it in daily life having these things on our schedule whether it's our training these conversations responsibilities and things that we we have on our plate all of us have that and we relate in a unique way of what it is that's happening in our lifestyle and then to consider as you spoke to being out on the ice on on game day how this this is the cutting edge of human potential right here everything that you just spoke to and it's in the subtle pieces like being in communication and using our voice of course there's excitability here we're sharing stories there's inspiration you start to notice yourself kind of co-regulating each other in this way where we start to go up when you're excited and you want to get the information out and then you start ripping and I'm doing this deliberately to kind of show you how we build hyper arousal in our system because all of a sudden we're going <gasps> gasping for a breath and notice what's happening in the most subtle way right here as I keep talking and building that arousal and signaling my nervous system to feel like I'm like whoa I'm up here and I have arousal and hyper arousal and I feel like I'm burning the candle and I'm trying to catch the breath and here's the gift and the opportunity. A lot of people, when they speak, take the inhale through their mouth. So on a very subconscious level, I think this is very high level awareness right here. Something that could totally transform a life. By simply bringing awareness to where there's not awareness and noticing that when we talk, in most cases, the majority of people are taking the inhale through the mouth versus after a sentence or a string of words, breathing in through the nose. And just the tone that that's going to set for yourself for these situations and these moments to everything else that we do, that we don't end up depleting our system and then finishing a conversation like this being like, whoa. Well, I feel exhausted. Of course, we do have our routine after to go and, and shift and let the information ingrain. But same situation, just as you spoke to coming off the ice after a round out there, that you're taking a deliberate pause on the bench to downregulate your system and shift into this no nasal breathing practice, which we know from the literature and from the research being done that there's these flow sensors that are built into the nose that communicate to the brain, that signal to the nervous system to create a more parasympathetic state, to slow your heart rate down, to increase HRV in some capacity, to improve the balance of the chemistry. That's, that's one of the primary roles of respiration. We have this dynamic dance of oxygen that we're taking in and carbon dioxide that we're expiring out. But we need to have a certain level of carbon dioxide in the system as that is essential for the release of oxygen from the hemoglobin in the blood to actually get into the tissue and get into the cell. So if we're overventilating all the time and being that huffing and puffing mouth breather, <sighs> And in psychologically, at some capacity, there's this connotation to be like, wow, well, I am working hard. So like, let me breathe hard to get charged up. But in doing so, and over breathing, whether it's pre ice time or post, we're lowering the carbon dioxide level, we're depleting our bones and our blood of, of essential electrolytes and, and molecules that send a hyper excitability to the cell and then they don't have the right charge and they're not getting the right oxygen to produce the maximal amount of ATP, which is that metabolic energy. And, and the, so here's that intuitive side of things as well, where of course, 
pre-competition or pre-training. Let's do some mechanical work to prime the breathing muscles, do some protocols and patterns that we'll get into this too, that can signal some mechanism for some really powerful adaptations physiologically and psychologically. But how fast can we recover? Whether it's between sprints up and down the ice or whatever other discipline you you do for those listening. And when you do get off the ice, then how quickly can you recover there to be ready to get back out? Clearing out the lactic acid, dropping your heart rate, getting into the parasympathetic tone. And that takes skill and practice. It does. And, and one of the things that I think is really uh, important about playing with the different aspects of the breath, how to breathe through your belly, through the chest, to expand in your back, to expand on your upper rib cage and through your collarbone is it really is this interior massage and this reorienting with nerves or musculature that's gone vague to the nervous system, that's gone quiet, or maybe it's been injured. Uh, and, and the breath is really this, this gentle but skillful tool to kind of get into where you can't get into with a foam roller or with particular stretches or with particular exercises. And it, it really is this ability to, you know, I'm, I'm starting to do it now. Uh, and my favorite example was last year, we had a really cool culture on the team I was on and I was actually able to, you know, borrow some of the uh, web streams that, you know, you've done on, on your website. And I would lead players through it. I, I had one particular player of mine. He'd come up to me. He's like, man, you know, my, my hip flexor sees, you know, a lot about, you know, the body. Can you run me through uh, some hip stuff? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Let's, um, let's breathe for like, you know, five, 10, 20 minutes here. And let, let's just see, let's see, let's take care of our body's desire uh, to feel safe and calm. Let's massage, you know, some of our major organs and, and, and get the, you know, the lungs, you know, uh, opening and closing fully. And uh, we'll see after what's going on with your hip. And there was, without fail, a tremendous improvement in the extremities when we paid attention to, you know, some of what is most important to our very core being, which is this musculature, these organs that handle, like you said, uh, at, at the peak of human capability, you could go 20 minutes, right? If, if you are the premier breath holder in the world, you know, 20 minutes is going to be about where you start to, you know, really red zone. For me, it's like 90 seconds <laughs> because I'm not that, you know, well-trained. Uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but without water, I can definitely go 20 minutes. Without food, no question. Uh, you know, but the air, you know, you, you need it. Yeah. Um, you bring up a great point. I mean, of course, as we move through our life, we take on certain habits and, and a big one out there today is chronic mouth breathing. I think we get impressioned. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I would see the magazines like men's journal or these fitness magazines and the dudes had the six pack abs and they look shredded. And to me, that was cool. So I remember walking through the hallways in elementary school and I was holding my core as tight as I could. Cause I was like a six pack is badass. I was doing the same thing with my, my Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, polo on and uh, yeah. Axe body spray. And yeah, I, th I was 14. I thought I was hot. Again, all of these impressions that, that create this construct in our, in our minds about ourselves and what's cool, the, all those layers. And so in the nature of holding our core tight all the time, we start to get shallow in our breath because when we hold the core the air naturally starts to come up into the upper regions of the lungs the diaphragm isn't contracting as robustly and then what tends to happen is we fall into this mouth breath pattern again i'm not going to blame michael jordan for this because i know there's some utility in what he was doing you know you see his famous jumps and dunks and he's got his tongue out and what some of the literature and, and articles have talked about is that he was, by using your tongue, there's some directionality there. There's an, a very subtle intelligence that's happening. But of course, then another impression, people see big stars hanging out with their mouth open. You see models or people in their photos and they're all like mouth open all the time. So then people think that's cool. 
maybe this is very subconscious stuff, but you start to ingrain and train this pattern of chronically mouth breathing and you're bracing your core. That's very shallow breathing in the chest, which is where a lot of our sympathetic energy is, solar plexus, heart, lungs, airway, all a lot of sympathetic branches in, the, in this zone. And if we're just breathing in the chest all the time, we're signaling from our body through the way we're breathing to our brain that we're in this hyper aroused state. And then it trains us to feel familiar. Like, oh, that's, that's how I operate. I'm in an anxious state all the time. You, you feel that. I, I want to highlight that because to me, the goal of this podcast is, of course, to educate people about what's possible through breath practice. But, but really what we're looking for is we're trying to recruit people for our tribe. We want to show people, um, you know, what you, you can be a participant in how you feel. And when I think of people in my life that are mouth breathers, because you start to see it, you can't unsee it once you know it, uh, what it looks like. Everyone kind of has either like, a, let's call it a teacher or a parent or a friend's parent, where if you had to consider what kind of mood that person's been in or what their brain state would be, you can hypothesize like that person with the scowl on their face and the way they behave every day, it's entirely possible that person's been in an anxious or bad or frightened mood for like 30 years and never had an opportunity to really interrupt and participate in how they feel. And this is where breath is so available and so potent where you can kind of play, you know, God over your, your physiology and your psychology. You, you can garden, maybe not God, but, but you can garden. You can start to plant seeds on, I'm feeling this way. Uh, right now, I'd like to feel different. You can start to do that. And every time you, you know, Andrew Huberman talks a lot about this, about how, you know, different uh, neural networks sort of wire together. Every time you interrupt when you're not feeling well or energized, and then you manually go in and, and reorient some things and, and come out feeling better, you are consistently downloading that into your realm of possibility. And that is like the shit. So much power and potential right there. Just like we started in this podcast talking about the well of potential, the real depth in the well of the potential. We can look at the physical potential, being able to go out and do amazing feats or crush it out on the ice and have endurance and power and accuracy and all these pieces. But a lot of those components or all of those components again, come back to the source, the self. And again, we said we're all the same and that we're human beings and we have nervous systems, but we're all different in that we've had unique experiences. Something that happened in our life that we took on to be a core belief about who we are from how our brother or mom or dad or friends said something to us or something happened, it creates this cycle. And so some of the real depth, again, the deepest depth of the well of potential being the self, this, the, this conversation is, is an invitation into exploring and being in the inquiry to open up our perception, our, our perspectives of, of self so that we have an understanding of ourselves from there. And what a world that opens up in ultimately the intention to build understanding, to empower ourselves and what can open up from there. And everything that you were just speaking to is, is really what makes breathing practice dynamic in that it is psychophysiological. So it's the merging of psychology and physiology. As, as you hear in, in the fascial world, the issues are in our tissues. We, we get an injury and the body responds and heals, but there's still emotion and energy and memory that gets stored up in the fascia and it has us start to create certain postures and those postures create 
a psychological experience about how we feel of ourselves, and to the point of breathing what's so beautiful is even for the example we talked about the bracing of the core that was the psychological physiological ingrainment and entrainment that i took on as a kid because i thought a six-pack was cool and then you add a mouth breathing onto that here's physiological action a bracing in the core and mouth breathing impacting psychology to one brace your core that's defensive we're, pre we're preparing ourselves for a hit almost it puts us in a hypervigilant state it puts us defensive almost closed off its armor and then we're mouth breathing and over breathing drops the ph lowers co2 in our body it cuts off blood flow to the brain it puts us in a less effective oxygen delivery state for the cells and perpetuates this hyperarousal state so just an example of this psychophysiological effect that breathing has to then be able to disrupt the drift of this subconscious pattern that has a grip over our self, limiting the well and the fluidity of, of the flow from the source, the self, this beautiful natural expression as a human being, that if we can then embrace, soften the core with the inhalation, Draw the breath in through the nose. Signal the flow sensors. Let the air get into the depths of the lungs. Through the embrace of the core and not the brace, the holding, we end up creating this abdominal pressure. The diaphragm itself is the primary balance and stabilizer muscle for the body, but also stabilizing and supporting the spine and a side of longevity in sport especially. So better balance, but also we're massaging the organs. We're getting blood flow into the organs. We're helping facilitate digestion and movement through the bowels. And one of my favorites, one of your biggest lymph nodes lives right under the diaphragm. So then we're helping to move lymph throughout the body. I know that. Clearing. Yeah. It's the unique name, Cisterna Chile, or Kylie, some may say. It's this, the biggest lymph node right under the diaphragm. And... If we think even diaphragm in its nature, its word, its origin and the root, diaphragm means partition or barrier. And it's really this separation between the abdominal, the lower body and the thoracic, the upper body. And for anyone that's ever tried it, you know, jump on a, you know, one of those turtle shells, those BOSU balls, or, you know, maybe more there's more risk involved, but you know, one of those full blown exercise balls at the, believe it or not, at the U S development team, we used to, uh, have to jump onto those and do squats on them. It's very dangerous. I've fallen. I recommend no one do it, but your breath and your balance are, you know, two, they are on the same teeter totter. And when you struggle to balance your breath will brace and you will not be able to, uh, from that place of danger, uh, you will not be able to be granted the safety that's needed uh, for mobility or for skill. And so, you know, very much so to center the breath, to, uh, you know, stretch your insides of sort to improve your balance. That is what you're doing. You're going out into the world, more coordinated, more skilled uh, in a, a deeper place of safety from which you can take risks from uh, either personally uh, from a business standpoint, I, I just, you know, thought of, uh, you know, even going back to, you know, let's call them the high school dances, you know, you see a cute girl from across the room, like, what is your, <sighs> I'm, I'm going to go do this. And uh, everyone has a breath practice already. I just, I urge our listener to investigate a little further, uh, look into a coach, look into working with Sam or, or you know, one of your more public facing platforms. Sam, I know some of our listeners will want more from you, more of you. Uh, you are, uh, you know, very forward thinking in the way that you are able to uh, reach out to potential clients and make yourself accessible. Where can uh, people find you depending on their appetite for training and, and involvement and exploration at this time? Hmm. Thank you, Connor. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to explore all of this it's like we're, we're scratching the surface in a way even within the neuroscience and and the work that's been happening for decades 
and it's fascinating to see then we are really the forefront that are practicing applying and integrating bringing this into our lives and also sharing it with our communities and that's what it's all about that's my mission is to make this work accessible and exploratory intuitive and empowering so i lead live sessions every week i have my own online platform and i lead a monday morning live stream it's called inspire series which is every week exploring a different theme a different perspective a different practice and then another component of my platform is called sleep wake which is designed to support your circadian rhythm and support these this push pull as we've been talking about of the nervous system to engage in the wake cycle to engage in energizing tonality to drive focus and alertness readiness for the day and also sleep power down cycle to down regulate to shift into a sleep cycle but they're not just for wake or sleep it could be your pre-workout to energize and prime your body or your post-workout or post-deep learning uh, activity to help entrain the memory and train the coordinated movements. That's something we're seeing a lot in down-regulating the nervous system post-training or post-high intensity is very important in how the brain recalls and programs that into the subconscious. So there, there's weekly sessions and there is a whole on-demand library that people can access and explore all the different themes. There's over 80 videos on there. And of course I have retreats that I also lead in person or day workshops. For those that are feeling extra inspired, I will be up in Jackson Hole for a long weekend retreat. It's the Jackson Hole Winter Experience, January 12th through 15th. And there's another March date coming and this will be a chance to get involved in the dynamics of breathing practice in person, but also coming to test the limits of your physiology and psychology out in the wild, because there's another a cold exposure component of this as well. We'll be hiking mountains and shorts, taking snowmobiles out to remote hot spring locations and swimming in frozen waterfalls, the Snake River in Jackson's legendary. And of course, another component, which we kind of touched on, is fueling and all farm to table, locally sourced, an interactive cooking demo with, with local, locally sourced game from hunters, bringing it back to the nature. We have this beautiful access in the modern world to technology. We can share our stories, we can learn. And how can we then get back to, and connected to those other layers, the simplicity, the simplicity of breath, the simplicity of self, the simplicity of community, family, our values, the things that are meaningful and fulfilling. And I know as athletes that there is fulfillment in the pursuits, in the competition, and, and this formulates identity. What happens when we blow out our knee or we don't make the team? Who are we? And it's not I am good, I am bad, but it's I am. And what is the witness, the observer of your actual self and understanding and in the ancient text, know thyself, so that you can also unknow yourself and continue to be in this process like we talked about in the beginning. We're in a constant state. Change is the only thing that doesn't change. So how can we then use these practices to be able to work and be with change as we continue to change? And it's such a gift to be in this sense of leadership in ourselves and, and also supporting our, each other in that leadership to inspire the world and, and take it to a whole nother level. That's what the times are calling for and that's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for. And, and all of the ups and downs in life, feeling is but the fertilizer for the soil of the soul, as I like to say. So let the challenges be that catalyst to ignite this power and potential inside of you. Breathe with it, be with it, move and groove. It's all you. And that's why I'm here. That's a beautiful uh, line you just had. And I, I, I'm always floored by your ability to take the everlasting and very difficult concept of yang yin and to put it as a, a concept that really does escape words and even feelings and thoughts and uh, to try to put it in a way that's uh, understandable 
digestible and, and moving. And I really wish I could go to uh, the Jackson Hole retreat in January. We'll be, we'll be in the thick of uh, our season at that point. But Sam, uh, you you killed it today. I, I always enjoy our, our time together. You always smack me in the face, even though I'm going on a couple years now of breathwork practice of how little I know. Uh, and yet that there are mentors and friends out there that I can I can reach out for to continue to pull me along. It's very encouraging uh, in the face of that humility. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I love that. I feel tremendously refreshed after our conversation today. And, and I do believe listeners will reach out uh, to both yourself and myself and we'll be available. We'll promote our podcast uh, today on, on Instagram and things like that in different forms. Uh, we'll be active. So yeah, you'll be able to get in touch with either of us on how we're integrating and in, implementing uh, these breathwork practices. And also you'll find out uh, as soon as you follow Sam on, on Instagram and through his website, you know, he's a, his curiosity does not begin and end with with breath work. He is, uh, you know, really investigating what else is out there uh, in an innovative way and, and and trying to artfully, you know, play these instruments together, uh, you know, to, to maximize our, our physiology, our psychology, our skill development, and our experience alongside it, which, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you want to get better and you want to have a good time doing it. it. It really is that simple. I really appreciate your time today, Sam. Uh, you're, you're a gift to athletic performance in general, but uh, we know with you know mental illness uh, rates and depression and uh, these these other conditions plaguing a lot of particularly youth uh, today. I, I appreciate your place in the world and and thank you tremendously for your time. 